0: If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Philemon. Uh, It's a really small one towards the back. You might need the table of contents uh, to find that one. Uh, But that's where we're going to be for the most part this morning. Now, uh, back in early October, I had a dentist appointment, and so I'm laying back in the chair, and there's the TV in the ceiling, and my, my hygienist is doing the cleaning, and it's on, and she has the news uh, going. And this took place um, just a few days actually after uh, Hamas's attack on Israel. And so in the news report, they were kind of describing many of the atrocities that had been committed by members of Hamas um, as they'd gone in, and just some gruesome details. And so as my hygienist is listening to the news and just all of the details and seeing some of the images, um, she's, she's talking out loud, kind of to me, but it's not really a conversation when somebody has their hands uh, in your mouth. But, but she's going, what, what is wrong with the world these days? Like, why would people do this? It, it feels like things are, are just getting worse. Asking, it's, it's hard to be hopeful about the future. Is there hope? Now, I don't think any of us kind of turn on the news at night, or maybe you kind of um, look at the news on your phone and go, yeah, this is, this is great. Like, if I were to write the script of how things were going at this time, this is exactly how I would have things going. Like, we look at these things, again, in the news, we read them, we see them, we go, no, this is, this is messed up. And we long for an end to pain. And end to suffering, an end to injustice. We crave peace. We, we want the well-being of the world. And it's not just that we turn on the news and we, we see these things in, in Israel and Gaza and the Ukraine and other parts of the world, that these things take place in our own country. They take place in our own communities. For some of us, they could be taking place in our own homes. And we hear of corruption. We see corruption, addiction, abuse, neglect, suffering, tragedy. And for some of us, we want to know, is there hope? Can people change? Can the world be changed? And So as, as my hygienist is kind of talking out loud, kind of at me, um, I, I want to be able to answer her, but again, you're just like limited to like some grunts and some face winces and like, I hope they get what I'm trying to say, but it was just like, I want to be like, yes. There is hope. And why can we say this? Well, as Christians, that's been our personal experience, but it's also been our experience as a people. And so if you have your Bible, again, we're in the book of Philemon, one chapter. So starting in verse uh, one. And the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you brother So Paul, he's writing from kind of house arrest prison in probably around AD 62. He's in Rome and he's writing to this guy named Philemon. And what we know about Philemon is he's probably this prosperous businessman um, who who lives in the city of Colossae. And sometime during Paul's three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus, um, Philemon heard Paul preach. He came to believe he became a Christian and he was saved. And so he, he goes back home to Colossae, he begins um, to serve the local church there and he opens up his home for the local church to meet there because they didn't have church buildings at that time like we do now, that, that they met within their, their homes for this. Now, um, we've been like coming off this, this series where we've been talking about we're, we're building um, or we're seeking to build some larger facilities here cause it's getting a little cozy in here at times, isn't it? Um, and, and so like, I'm just gonna say this, if you've got a house that can Handle about 400 plus of us on a Sunday morning. And you're cool if we just drop in every week, we should talk because it would save us a lot of money if we could do that. Um, But if not, we're we're gonna go ahead with this. Now, the question is, why does Paul write this letter? And it's, it's a small letter. And so he's got this narrow focus. And Paul's going, I want to restore this relationship between you, Philemon, and a man named Onesimus. And so let's keep going in verse eight. So, Paul's writing, he says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother, He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, from this text, we learn something else about Philemon, that he is a slave owner. And this is one of those texts that we'll we'll go like, okay, we read our times into it, and we're like, let's cancel Philemon. Like, how, how could this guy ever be a Christian? He owns slaves. But as we read this, we have to understand this, that the institution of slavery in Rome at that time was different than the institution of slavery that we tend to think of as now. A slave back then could also be known as a bond servant. And the Roman institution of being a bondservant, again, different from kind of um, slavery that took place here in North America between the 17th and the 19th centuries. Now, I'll say this, like the the New Testament, Paul in, in Timothy goes, human trafficking, not a good thing. It's actually a sin. But in Roman culture, again, slavery is different than we might be thinking. It was um, often that that servants worked for pay. They could save enough money to buy their freedom. They're often entrusted with immense amounts of money and uh, responsibility. And a released bond servant or slave who purchased their freedom or was released became known as a freedman, but they often chose to continue working for their former master. Now, the New Testament, it does not condone the existing system of slavery that was taking place within Roman culture. But it also recognized this, that Christianity is kind of this new thing on the scene, and slavery has existed as this long-established institution. And so Christianity is not going to come in and get rid of slavery overnight. Now, the New Testament, you could read through it, and you're not really going to find a command that says this, thou shall not own slaves. They They don't write that. But what the writers of the New Testament do is actually um, call for something that is much more devastating to the institution of slavery. And we're going to talk about this more next week. But Onesimus, he's, he's one of Philemon's slaves, and at some point he's done wrong to Philemon. Perhaps he stole money or property from him. He's run away, and now he is a fugitive. And so under Roman law, if Philemon gets his hands on Onesimus, it's not going to go well for Onesimus. He's going to be brutally punished or put to death. And so most likely to start this new life of freedom, escape, detection, and punishment, Onesimus runs away to Rome, which is the city of 1.5 million people at the time. And so like that, that's a great place to hide out, to start your new life if that's what you're trying to do. But we're not told how but we, we kind of see what happens in this letter, that somehow Onesimus comes into contact with the apostle Paul. And through Paul's ministry, Onesimus himself becomes a Christian. And after his conversion, Onesimus spends time helping Paul during his imprisonment. And, and did you catch what Paul says? Like, I love Onesimus like a son. He is dear to me. But he recognizes this, that, that t- like basically, Onesimus is Philemon's legal property. And as much as Paul would be like, I want Onesimus to stay here with me, I love him. He knows that Onesimus's fugitive status, the severed relationship with Philemon and the wrongdoing he's done need to be addressed. Like Philemon and Onesimus, they're, they're now brothers in Christ. And Paul's going, you need to be restored. You need to be reconciled. And Onesimus, he agrees with this and he's willing to return to his master. And so Paul writes this letter, this personal appeal, going, I I want you, Philemon, to accept um, Onesimus, not just like as a slave and go, okay, I'm going to overlook this one thing. He's going, no, I want you to see him as more than a slave. He is your brother in Christ. Now, when Paul's writing this letter, he can't just like walk down to the corner, throw this letter into the, the uh, post box, and it just like makes it w- its way to Philemon. Like uh, the the postal system at that time, it's only for state business. And so, if you're writing this personal letter, the way you get it to um, the person you want to receive it is that you give it to somebody that you can trust is going to make sure it gets to that person. And in verse 12, Paul goes, "You know what? I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon." And what we learn is that Onesimus is one of the men who brings this letter to Philemon. Now imagine if you're Onesimus. Like you're making this journey back to Colossae to see your, your former master. You've stolen from him. You've run away. Like it's, it's not going to be a fun walk. Like you're going to be nervous and anxious as, as you walk there maybe you've done something like pretty significant and you're going, okay, I'm going to have to face somebody um, and they're probably going to be upset. Like maybe you bought an expensive item without telling your spouse and you're going to have to explain that. Maybe you borrowed your parents' new car and didn't come back in the same condition that you left with. Maybe, and I've, uh, this is a true one, Like I heard of somebody who got a puppy while their spouse was out of town. Like those are things like not, not fun. Like I get nervous coming back home. It's like, listen, Shannon, I forgot to use the coupon. We didn't save a dollar. I've, forgive me, please. Now, like the, these types of conversations, they can make us nervous. And, and Onesimus going home is like, okay, I've, I've done wrong to Philemon. I could be brutally punished. I could be put to death, but he does go back. He's willing to try and make amends. And that says a lot. And Philemon, I mean, I can't imagine as he sees Onesimus coming up the driveway, he's like, ah, awesome, Philemon, you stole it from me, you ran away, this is awesome, come on in. Like, he's probably angry. And so, if you're on Onesimus, you're like, okay, please read the letter before you do anything. And in this letter, Paul is, is laying some stuff out. He talks about Onesimus' name, and, and, and Onesimus was a pretty common name back then, given to slaves, bond servants, and it meant that somebody was useful or profitable. And in this play on words, in verse 11, Paul's going, you know what, he was formerly useless to you, but now he's useful, and he's describing a before and after of Onesimus' conversion by stealing and running away, Onesimus, he was useless to you, Philemon. But now, having repented and become obedient to Christ, Onesimus is both useful to, to you, both you, Philemon, and to me, Paul. And Paul is saying that faith in Jesus has transformed this man. That it, it, it's a very different Onesimus who's coming back to see Philemon than the one who had ran away. And Paul, he's not like minimizing um, Onesimus' crimes, He tells us what kind of person Onesimus was. He was disloyal, he was disobedient, he was a thief. But Paul's point is this, Jesus transforms people. Like Onesimus, he's run away, but he's going back to face the consequences of what he did, whatever they may be. And so we have to understand this, that Christianity is not this get out of all consequences card, that if, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel says you're not going to be condemned because of your sin, because um, Jesus has paid for those sins. That, that's not going to be held against you when you stand before God on judgment day, but it's also not saying that you get to default on your debts. Just because God has forgiven us, it doesn't mean we get to escape all earthly consequences. And so like, here's this kind of like an example, like you murder somebody and you get away with it. Nobody figures out it's you. But over time, you, you hear the gospel, you, you come to believe, you repent of your sins, you, you, you place your faith in Christ and, and you, you're, 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 you're forgiven. Your, your sins will not be held against you. But maybe some new evidence comes to light, you get caught or hopefully your Christian conscience convicts you and you go and you turn yourself in. And you stand before uh, an earthly judge and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that murder, but I became a Christian. So does this mean like I get away with it? Like that, we, we wouldn't be able to play that card. There's still gonna be consequences for what we have done and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, like, if, if, you, if you're my follower, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to go and make things right with your brother. You're going to be reconciled. You're going to be restored to them. And so this is something that, that maybe we have to do. Now, Philemon, the book, it doesn't teach any new doctrine. But what it does is it applies doctrine. And so the book of Philemon, it shows the heart of the gospel. That if you come to, to God in repentance and faith and trust in Jesus, he gives you a new identity. He welcomes you into his family. And what you owe to God because of your sin, he charges to Christ's account. That's not held against you. And this is the doctrine of justification, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God credits Christ's righteousness to our account to cover our sins. And the doctrine of justification, it tells us that when you put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you the exact same way he sees his son, as holy and righteous. And so Onesimus, he's a Christian. This is what Paul's saying. He's a child of God. He's a brother in Christ. And he's not saying this is because Onesimus cleaned up his life, got his act together, and now God's going to accept him. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he's a Christian because he's put his faith in Jesus and what he's done for him on the cross. And so one of the things we, we talk about, the gospel says this, that, that you don't earn your status as a child of God. Our identity is received, it's not achieved. And so this is, this is how Christians, we can stand confidently and have hope as we look towards eternity because it's not based on what I've done, but what Christ has done for me, for us. But Onesimus, he's not just new in name and title. Like, we, we don't know all the details about his life before his conversion, but Paul's told us some of them that he's, he's stolen, he's run away, he's disobedient, he's unfaithful at least. But then Paul is going, but he, he accepted Christ. And he cared for me while I was in prison. And he's willing to go back and make things right with you, Philemon, and pay for the consequences of his rebellion if need be. And so it shows that he's responsible, a more faithful individual, that there's a sense of duty resulting from his newfound uh, faith. Now, if you have been around churches for a while, one of the things you'll, under, you'll observe is that not all Christians act the same or live the same way. Like, there's, there's some differences. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's going, okay, here's here's kind of the ideals in, in a Christian's life. This is what they're, they're striving for. The, the, the Spirit will produce these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what our lives are to be marked by. And, and some people, man, they exude those things. And I, I get around those people. And I'm like, I want to be like you. Like, you, you inspire me to, to see these things in my life. And then there's some Christians that you don't see those things in their lives. Like um, I remember when I was a kid growing up at my church, there was just this old man and like he was a crotchety old man. Um, We would be like out after church playing on the grass and like he would yell at us to get off the grass. And it's not like it was new grass. He was just like, get off the grass. It's like, no, grass isn't for playing on. And he he would yell at the kids. And so we were like, man, you're kind of a scary old guy. Like another time, um, and this is like an older Christian in our church. He, he, there was this kid who who put his mouth, he was going for a drink at the water fountain. It's, kind of, it's gross, like nobody wants your germs, but like he puts his mouth right on the water fountain, like full-on contact. Um, and that's gross. But instead of that man going up like, listen, nobody wants your germs, that's kind of gross, like a little bit of distance, like let, let's do that. He grabs the kid and he's like, don't put your lips right on there, and like, This was a a Christian. And so my point is this, that not all Christians are identical. They don't all act and live the same way. Now, Philemon highlights the doctrine of sanctification. And if you're going, what's sanctification? Don't worry, we're going to get there. But Paul's pointing at Onesimus and going, Jesus transforms people. And this is good news because for some of us, we look at our lives and we're not exactly happy with where we are. And we were going, I hope I can change. And the message that you predominantly get in our culture is kind of like, no matter what's going on in your life, it's not you, it's other people. That, 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 like, don't change a thing. You are perfect the way you are. Like, just, just stay how you are. But the Bible, it, it doesn't do that. Actually, it's like, okay, examine your life in light of scripture Look at how your life measures up to the life of Christ and go, what needs to change? Are there changes that need to be made? Do I need to repent in any area? But then it doesn't go, okay, now try hard. That, just like really try hard to, 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 to get your act together. No, Christianity says, and God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will help you live that out and make those changes. And so sanctification is a lifelong process where over time we become in belief Attitude and action, what we already are in the eyes of God, holy and righteous. And being sanctified is this process where you're becoming more like Jesus. And so this is why verses like Romans 8:29, it talks about like um, being conformed into the image of Christ. It talks about things like having your mind, your thinking renewed. And so sanctification, it's this ongoing journey of spiritual growth and transformation. Like, I don't know about you, but the, the, the morning after I gave my life to Christ, I did not wake up as a totally new person. Like, I, like much of my old ways, my not good ways were still there. And I, I've met some people where it's like they, they became a Christian, like their lives changed like that. But that's not the story of all Christians, most Christians, I would say. And so Christianity is this process of growing in holiness and becoming more like Christ over time. And the pace, the experience of sanctification, that varies from one person uh, to another. now several several years ago, um, I was trying to teach my sons how to ride a bike without training wheels. Um, so we were in the backyard, and we'd been going at this for quite a while um, and it, w- it, was, it was a bit of a struggle. Like in movies, what you see, it's like this, they, they make it look so beautiful. It's like the, the dad's holding the, the bike and guiding the kid and he's pedaling, he's wobbling and the kid's like, ah, oh, you can let go, dad. And he's like, I already have, son, you're doing it. And he's like, I am doing it. And then he like wheels around, high five, hug. I love you, dad. I love you, son. It's this beautiful moment. That's not what was happening that day for Seth and I. Um, like, Seth's going like, I, I don't wanna do this. And I'm like, you're gonna do it. And it's like, you're gonna be riding this two-wheeler by the end of the day. I don't know, it was like a sense of pride as a father. My son had to ride a bike by the end of that day. I should have just let it go. But I was like, no, we're, we're doing this. Um, and, and Seth finally was like, I don't wanna ride a bike. Oh, you, you don't wanna ride a bike? Okay, well, I guess you won't need this bike. <laughs> and I just launch it across the yard. Um, neighbors probably thought I was nuts. And like, uh, am I proud of that moment? Um, I mean, it got distance, like it, it went. But like, no, like not a fine parenting moment. Not like I want you to be like this when you grow up, Seth. And so I had to go and apologize to him, and and, and just kind of like I I don't know what was was going on there. Now, if you're a parent, you're going, I get it. If you don't have kids. Um, I'm, I remember thinking I was pretty good until I had kids, and then it's just like this—the part of like my sanctification process reminded me I'm not nearly as far along as I thought I was. And so, over over the 23 years that I've been a Christian, I'm reminded quite a lot of work in progress. And so through the years, here's one of the things that uh, I've encountered people who are like, okay, I can't be a Christian because my life is not good enough for God. And so I'm going to clean up my life. And when I've got my act together, then I'm going to be good enough for God. And he'll look at my life and be like, okay, yeah, you you can come to heaven. Come on in. You're doing great. But that day will never come if you're waiting for that day because you're not going to impress God with your behavior. And this is what the gospel says, that you need grace. You need a savior. You need Jesus. But in a similar way, what can happen is that we become a Christian. And then we have these expectations of ourselves, expectations that are um, almost like perfection out of ourselves, that we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And I think it's good for us as believers to have a high aim in the way that we live. But, but here's the thing, when we don't live up to those expectations that we put on ourselves, sometimes we get down on ourselves and we get discouraged and we go, this whole Christianity thing, it's impossible. I can't do it. I'm done with it. And, and people just kind of walk away because they've put expectations on themselves that Jesus never put on them. And so I want you to hear it clearly. Jesus does not expect perfection from you. He knows that you can't do that. But what he does want to see from you is progress. And you're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. Like Perfection comes when Christ returns for us or we go to be with him. And so the goal of sanctification is progress towards Christ-likeness. Now, because of, of social media, I, I've been able to kind of keep in touch with some people from uh, high school on, and on Facebook, and I get to see some glimpses into their lives every once in a while. It's like, oh, they've got some kids, and, and they've, they're moving along in their, their career, and you can see that they've changed, but there's this one guy that I'm like, I think you're still stuck in high school. Not, not that he didn't graduate grade 12, but that he's, he's just kind of living in that high school mentality that he's still obsessed with this car that he drives, like puts a ton of money and energy into it. And like, he seems to live for the weekend. It's it's, it's kind of like he never matured past that point. And, and he should be acting more mature, getting close to 20 years out of high school. Makes me sound really old. Um, but, but like, this guy's not showing the signs of maturity. And so I, I say this because like, if you've been a believer for quite a while, I just want you to be honest, are you showing signs of progress in your walk with Christ? Are you different today than you were the day you accepted Christ? And, and maybe for some of us long time Christians, are you different today than you were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, last year, last week? Like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, it says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Romans twelve two, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So sanctification, it involves God's work in your life through the Holy Spirit, but also your cooperation and your participation in it. And if you're not progressing in your, your spiritual maturity, if you're not seeing transformation, I, I would just encourage you, like, look at your life. Ask yourself these questions, like, am I praying regularly? And it's, it's not like a quick meal or quick prayer before a meal, but like unrushed prayer, time with God in which you talk to him and he changes your thinking. And it is this conversation with him. Am I reading and studying God's word? And this is where we learn what Christian character looks like, not from social media, actually from God's word. And we, we see what it looks like, and we understand God's will for our lives. Am I participating in Christian community? And that community provides encouragement, support, accountability. This is why we say get in a discipleship group. Am I worshiping God regularly? Worship helps us to recognize who God is and who we are in relationship to him. Am I examining my life? Do I observe my thoughts and actions to see where I need to repent, to confess, and to make changes? Am I listening for the Spirit's guidance? Jesus said that the Spirit would provide you with counsel, wisdom, and the power we need to do what he wants. Am I serving others, that God has given you gifts and abilities, and they're there for a reason, to serve as the hands and the feet, and serving it helps us to grow in our love for others? Am I learning from others? Am I getting guidance from more mature Christians who can provide insights and support in my journey? Am I avoiding sinful sinful influences? Am I keeping myself from people and places that I know are just gonna tempt me to sin? Am I persevering? There's gonna be challenges and setbacks along the way. There's gonna be good seasons. There's gonna be hard seasons. But Christ says, be faithful to the end. Am I stepping out in faith? And I think what often happens is we reduce Christianity to this: I'll show up on Sunday, put like five bucks in the offering, I'll not swear, and I'll read my Bible a little bit, and then we get bored with it. We go, man, this Christian life, but like we've made it into that. Jesus says the Christian life is so much more. It's an adventure. And the process of sanctification, it's, it's like exercising. Like if you hit the gym once a month, all that's going to happen is you're going to be sore and tired. And then you're going to look in the mirror and go, I don't see any results. What's going on? But results, that's not how you get results. It's, it's like repetition. It's being there regularly, putting in the work. That repetitions bring results. So are you participating, cooperating with God in your sanctification? Like, I saw a post on Facebook recently, and it talked about a, a woman named Kat Von D, and she's a famous uh, tattoo artist, and she was on a show previously called uh, LA Inc., and she was involved in the occult and witchcraft but she left that behind and left it in California and moved to a small town in Indiana. And recently a video was online in which Kat revealed that she had left behind um, witchcraft. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. She was baptized and she called herself a Christian. And not long after she kind of became a Christian, she put out another post that she was saying, you know what, when I became a Christian, I expected hatred from my, my followers, my fans before, because like I kind of did a 180. On them, Like, I just went the complete opposite way. But she said what shocked her most was that the criticism, most of the criticism came from Christians. That instead of rejoicing with her, they tried to come up with reasons why she could not actually be a Christian. She's got tattoos. She dresses funny. Her old way of life disqualifies her from it. But the reality is, and scripture would say, is if she's put her faith in Jesus Christ... She is a Christian. She is a sister in Christ. Instead of being kind of ostracized because she doesn't fit the stereotypical look of what a Christian or what we think a Christian should look like, we should welcome her and love her. And oftentimes the biggest deterrent to people becoming Christians or followers of Christ is the people who say that they follow Christ. They, they, they talk a big game, but they don't live like him. I pray that would never be true of us here at HCC. Because Jesus, he came for the broken, the marginalized, the outcast, the unaccepted. And before we start going, okay, those people, we have to understand those people are us. We are those people. And if we believe that God's word is true, that means there's hope for anybody to be changed by the gospel. That Jesus doesn't just want the good ones. He's not looking for spiritual all-stars who have their act together. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost He says it's it's those who know they are sick that need the doctor, not the ones who think they're healthy. He welcomes a runaway slave into his family, and God will welcome anyone and everyone who will recognize and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you have done, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter how deep or dark your past secrets are, it doesn't matter how badly you have messed up. That if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in his work, God will say, welcome home. And maybe you've been wanting to do that for a while. Maybe you wanna do that today and we would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about it. Greg would love to talk to you about it. If you're going like, I don't wanna talk to you guys, you can fill out a Connect card at the Welcome Center just saying you'd love to talk about becoming a Christian. And so becoming, uh, believing the gospel doesn't just forgive your sin but it transforms your life, mind, will, emotions, character, values, identity. And just like God did with Onesimus, God wants to work in your life so that he can work through your life. Because as individuals change, communities begin to change. And as communities change, the culture begins to change and can be changed. And we're going to talk about the gospel's power to change the world next week.